morning. How are you? My name is Dan, and um, if you have seat belts on your chair there, you might want to buckle up for the ride. Uh, somebody first hour said, uh, oh, I'd forgotten that you, well, how'd they say it? We, I've, uh, We've forgotten that you have to sort of listen to Dan differently. Um, here, here's the thing. Uh, I, some of you I know and some I don't. It really doesn't, doesn't matter. Uh, you know, it won't affect today's presentation. But if you've heard me before, you might just want to lean over to somebody sitting next to you and go, it all makes sense at the end. Okay, so just, just hang on. Um, um, and, and if, I mean, I just... I have to take just a moment. I try not to do this, but uh, it's such an honor to be here. I'm, I'm very grateful to be asked to come speak, and um, I wore black because I, I understand Derek always wears black, so I was trying to be cool. Um, I didn't even have a black shirt. I had to go buy it, but because um, I think it's very morose that he would do that, but anyway, no. Listen, he, he uh, I, I don't know if he shared with you. He was I was his youth minister, he was in my youth group a long, long ago, and he's probably never told you the story of how he got out to our church in Decatur, but he was thrown out of Sunday school at East Ponce Baptist. That's a true story. Uh, is, is his mom in here? I don't know, but um, anyway, she came to my office sort of dragging him, you know, going like, what are we going to do? And I uh, said, well, I guess he can go here. I have a lot of other rejects from other places, so, you know, he'll probably fit in. It's a community of Anyway, so he's super, love it, uh, and you know, Jamie and I, of course, uh, uh, have known each other for many years, and um, so, and you've got a new staff member, just exciting things going on here. I just have to take just 20 seconds to say how awesome it is, worship, uh, community here, the growth, um, and I, I don't know how else to, it, I feel like a proud father, I don't, know, I don't know if that's bad or if you misinterpret that, but that's just what I feel like, and so... I have to say that, and um, it's awesome. Okay. Now, the first, some of the first people who joined uh, this church were behavioral psychologists. And I figured out early on, they really didn't, I don't think they liked the music or the preaching that much. I think they, I was like a rat in a college experiment to them. I, I think I was sort of like this guinea pig, this test case, because Janet actually came up and said to me one time, you know, Kobe and I were discussing in the car uh, what you were, and I said, yeah, I know, and you know, but I said, whatever letters after the name, because if I had come along, I, I mean, if I had come along now, I would be in some house in Vermont, okay, I mean, uh, yeah, you know, ADD, LSD, PCP, whatever, because they were like, well, we're not really sure what all you are, and I'm like, you know, you know, like on your email where you can check, like that top left box, and it just says all of them, you know, just checks all of them, that's me, so just go ahead and fill them all in, so, um, you'll have to just sort of, but anyway, I think that's why they joined, just to, and now they've stayed, and it's worked out okay, but um, I, I think they came initially just out of intrigue, and uh, so, you know, sort of like going on an archaeological dig, if you're a psychologist, so anyway, uh, we'll, we'll stay together here. You know, the, the point of today, there will be a point, um, the, the, one of the points of today is that 
things don't always work out like you thought they were going to. Anybody say, yeah, okay, yeah, all right. Okay, I was just, that was rhetorical, don't really say it. Okay, no, I'm kidding. Um, things don't always work out. You know, when we started uh, CCB, I, I had this picture in my mind, kind of in my Navy blazer, and how you doing, and we'd have this sort of, you know, sort of a Scott Dixon kind of church. And um, God had a whole, God had a, Scott was in my youth group too, but God had a different idea. And we started in a strip club, a former strip club, I think is important, because a lot of people come up and say, what? But a uh, former strip club. And, but, you know, when you, when you start a church in a former strip club, you don't really have to hang a sign outside that says, everybody welcome, because it, it pretty much defines you from the beginning that whoever you are, you're welcome here. But God had a different idea. And um, it, went a, it, just, you know, it went a little bit different direction than... Uh, we thought. Now, what these are called are notes, and these are for people who've heard me before. They're really just props. There's nothing written on them, but it makes people feel better that I come over and kind of look at them. Now, what we're going to look at today, I, I love, I love, it's just all about you feeling good, but um, I love the names of God, and what we understand from the name of God, salvation is in the name of God. It's not just a designation. It's not just a, it's not just a category. Uh, it's not just an, uh, something that's been assigned to him. The name of God, in, in the name of God is salvation. There is something inextricably linked between who he is and his designation. So it's not just his name, but it actually encompasses who he is. And, and so up behind us, we see it's not just what we call God, but it's actually who he is. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, 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 an expression of his presence in your life. So he's Elohim, he's the rock, he's the redeemer, he's Jehovah, Rapha, the healer. And today we're going to see that he's El Elyon, the name of God combined with the words most high. Now what this means is sovereign, which which we don't really understand probably, I don't mean to presume that on you, but I'm just saying generally as Americans, we don't really understand sovereign. But it means preeminent, supreme, majestic, exalted, God most high. Now, we don't understand, let's just explore this for a minute. The reason we don't understand sovereign is that we're Americans. And so it says in our Constitution, all men are created equal. Now, it took us a while to really practice that, but we finally got it. And we're, and we're doing a pretty good job now. All people are created equal. But we're raised as Americans to understand everybody's equal. The whole history of humanity has been that the king is law. And so just a few hundred years ago, somebody with a radical idea that the opposite of that is the law is king. And that's how America was founded. And we're one of the few countries that really function with that. But you got to understand how different that is. So because we were raised as Americans, we don't quite get the sovereign idea. A true sovereign, his word is rule or her rule. I mean, boom, kill that guy, he's dead. Take that land, you know, nationalize those banks. Okay, sorry, I was just kidding. But anyway, uh, uh, the, sovereign's, the sovereign's word is, is, uh, is law. If he says it, it's done. And we didn't grow up with that. Now, we've got a couple of, couple of things influenced us, the Constitution and Barney. Now, Barney says that everybody is special. Well, of course, now, what does the word special mean? Special means set apart, different, unique. Well, we have 300 million people. I don't know how many of them, maybe, what, 
18 million in pre-K. I mean, they can't all be special, okay? They can't all be unique, set apart. Now, I mean, I understand as a parent, we did it with our kids. You know, you're unique. You, you're the only person like you. Nobody is quite like you. But, but what we've done is we've told all our kids that they're special, and they grew up believing it. And so it's very hard for us to understand sovereign. I mean, everybody can't be special. Y'all, American Idol. I mean, that shows you right there. Stadiums full of people who can't sing because... Their mama and their grandmama's go, oh, baby, you're so good. You, see, you need to be on American Idol. You would be good. No, and Simon, we all hate him, but that's because you can't handle the truth. You just want to say to these people, you can't sing. You need to stay with accounting. This is where you have a future. But everybody is lined up at these stadiums thinking they can sing, and they can't sing because, probably not the Constitution, but more Barney and Grandma. Oh, baby, you're so good. You sing. She's not good. She's terrible. So... We grow up, and so we have a hard time when we see El Elyon, God Most High, Sovereign, His Word, Ultimate. We, don't, we have a hard time with that because everybody's equal, everybody's special. Well, if you even think about that, we're, we're really messing up our kids' brains. Everybody's equal, everybody's the same, everybody's special. <laughs> okay, you can't be everybody the same and unique and special, so, you know. Um, sovereign... Uh, It's, it's critical for us to appreciate God, the transcendent, which means the holy other, W-H-O-L-L-Y, the holy other, separate from us. Not a little higher than us, but totally separate, high and lifted up. So that's what we're going to look at today. So... Um, Actually, I do have notes, and I was just kidding about it. Oh, let me do, let me do one other thing. Uh, we have a hard time because of Barney. We have a hard time because of American Isle. And we, we, uh, we have a hard time with uh, sovereign because of what I call, a lot of people don't like this term, but what I call pseudo-intellectualism, meaning we sort of like to think we're all analytical and... Um, uh, intelligent, which you know we, we fairly are, but but I, I need to make sure not skip this. Americans, especially, but really modern man, we think of ourselves as uh, sophisticated, and so we have been educated in the scientific method, which is I need to be able to prove it before I believe it. And we, when we say that, it helps us to feel that we are these ultra-rational beings that are not duped by uh, mist, uh, um, myths and um, superstitions. That was the word I was thinking. Everybody's going like, find the word, buddy. Um, myths and superstitions. So we, and the reason I call it pseudo-intellectualism is that we've based our belief system, our decisions about how we're going to live based on something called the rational method. Well, that's fine, except it's inadequate and finite. There are many things that cannot be explained scientifically that we would label as true. 
And of course, we want to base our lives on truth and not on falsehood. I mean, it's a road less taken, and so I don't want to mistakenly go off down a road built on falsehood. There's going to be many, there will be many consequences and, and negative uh, aspects about that, and so I, I want to make sure that I base my life on truth. So, uh, where that brings us to is that we are gathered here I mean, what is it that we do here? We, we come every week to, to look for truth, and not only to, to look for, for truth intellectually, but also truth in, in a sense that it guides my life decisions, how I parent, how I'm married, how I date, how I talk to people, how I interact, how I operate out of morals and ethics. All right, so there is, there is a point at which we move beyond the scientific method that we can prove this in a laboratory. Meaning, if you want to argue the existence of God, that's fine. And there are uh, millennials of uh, evidence uh, and arguments. And, and I'm sure that uh, on the other side, there are, there are plenty of substance for arguments. But that at the end of the day, I've got to believe that you are here because at some point you have said... There has to be a God behind all of this. There has to be a designer behind all this. I mean, we can argue all we want, but at some point, and you can say, well, it's faith. That's fine. I don't apologize for that. I think everybody steps out in faith. And the scientist steps in faith, the believer steps out in faith. It, everybody has to have faith in something unseen because we can't prove past we can't go back far enough to prove it. You with me? Because <laughs> I have no idea what I'm talking about. Why don't you take, come on up and finish the thought. At some point, I have to acknowledge, I don't have to, but at some point, I'm going to assume that you have acknowledged in some measure that there is this person, L. L. Young. There are people who never get out of the starting block always analyzing whether God exists. All I can tell you is go to the Smokies, go up to Klingman's Dome, look out and figure out whether it was chance or out of the mind of a, a designer. Hold a little baby, look at the eyeball, analyze a watch, whatever. Somehow, somebody designed, somebody created. The functionality of that did not happen out of ectoplasmic amoeba mutating out of the cosmic pond. Uh, it, we can argue that over here, but it never gets us out of the starting block. Is there someone transcendent? I don't know what he looks like. I don't know what exactly all the uh, variations of him, but there's some, or here or whatever, but it's out there, okay? Either you're over there still arguing square one, or you're over here figuring out who the, who the person is. If you're there, if you're there, then that's what we're going to talk about. Okay? <laughs> We're captive. What are we going to do? <laughs> All right, so let's talk about Nebuchadnezzar because I felt like I should use the Bible so I won't get criticized later. So, Nebuchadnezzar, king, Mesopotamia, he's not a fable from the Bible or some storybook. He's real. He ruled Mesopotamia, kind of centered in Iraq around 600 BC. Uh, we know that he was arregant and prideful. Uh, his entrance uh, to the 
one of the cities, and he's got these towers, and on it there, all of this I designed under my reign, all of Babylonia, blah, blah, blah. So, we know he's arrogant, prideful. He captured some Jewish folks, which is kind of their history, isn't it? And he's got Daniel there, and Daniel interprets dreams, and the king Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he calls Daniel in, Daniel interprets, says, you're like a tree, and you're going to flourish, but, you know... King Nebuchadnezzar didn't hear the butt part. And so uh, he acknowledges, oh, Daniel, your God, Yahweh, of all the gods, is a great God. Well, okay, so he's kind of politically correct, sort of an American, pluralistic. Well, you know, your religion's fine, my religion, you know. If your religion blows people up, I understand that, you know. That's just how you lean. So, um, so he was pluralistic. Okay, Yahweh's great. Then he has uh, some more dreams, so he calls Daniel back in. Daniel says, I don't think you want to hear this. And Nebuchadnezzar, no, I want to hear it. So Daniel says, well, the way I understand the dream is that you're going down, and you're going to fall. Well, Nebuchadnezzar didn't want to hear that, but he did. I'm doing like 14 years of history in about four minutes. But he, um, Daniel predicted that he would crawl like an animal out in the woods and, 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 and eat from the ground, and he did. And you think, well, that's so silly. It sounds like one of those crazy stories that they tell in the Bible. Well, does anybody remember Sodom Hussein? They, they open up, and he's there, and he's got the hair and the growth and the wide eyes, you know, kind of like your uncle at Thanksgiving, you know. <laughs> you know when you start talking politics, and he's like, well, I'll tell you one thing. <laughs> um, or maybe the guy you see next to Corner Bakery. I've seen him sometimes, too, but he's, you know, like that. And you're like, Uncle Joe. Um, He crawled around seven years. He was humbled, um, humiliated is probably the better word. And then he, the scripture says, he looked up to heaven and came to his senses. This is a great scripture. And as a matter of fact, I think this is, uh, somebody can correct me later, not right now, but I think this is the only time that a pagan has written scripture. And this is Nebuchadnezzar uh, telling about, uh, he says, at the end of that time, I raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Let's just stop there a minute, even though a lot of you are reading ahead because you have a hard time following instructions. Have you been there? Where you crashed and burned? You may not have been on all fours eating dirt, although <laughs> maybe that isn't your story. Um, you're a mess. You were here, you're there. And you came to a point where you looked up and your sanity was restored. You came to your senses. You'd lost your mind and you came back. Then I praised the Most High, El Elyon. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. You see what he's done? He he was at the center of the universe. Nebuchadnezzar was the center of his own world. You know what? You don't have to be a king to think the whole world revolves around you. Especially if you've been raised as special and unique. And then I praised 
El Elyon. What he's acknowledging there is, I was the king, I was the sovereign, my word went, I was the highest, and now I've been brought low, and now I acknowledge that God is the highest. Now, we can get into this discussion about God's will, and I won't do that. Sometimes he orchestrates, sometimes for teaching, sometimes for discipline, but sometimes stuff happens. It's called free will. So this is not a model of how God always works. God orchestrated Nebuchadnezzar's fall. Although you could equally argue that Nebuchadnezzar contributed a lot to this through his own arrogance and pride. But basically the point of the story is God brought him down. But God also restored him and his, to his glory, to his honored position. And God will do that for us. So very simple just, just for my sake, not yours, very simple process here then we understand that he, he thought he was all that, God took him down, he got it, he looked up to God, called him El Elyon, inherently acknowledging, I'm not most high, you're most high. Folks, I'm going to tell you, and then, and then the end of the story, <laughs> you, see, you, have, you see why you had to lean over and go, it'll all, just hang with me. We, we do participles and fragments, but they come back together. This is, preachers do this when they don't know what they're getting ready to say, but you think they're making some major point. Uh, I don't know what I was telling you, but anyway. Um, yeah, I do. High, low, looked up, restored. Center of the universe, center of the universe. All right, now let's, let's, let's break this down and talk about what the process looks like. Some people, some people say they are atheists or agnostics. Now, I don't meet many, and maybe you do. Now, in college, it's cool to go through that. Part of that's just sort of a rebellion against parents and the structures you came from. But, but the process we're looking at is cognitive, emotional, and behavioral. And on a cognitive level, some people will say, well, I think there's a lot of facts against God. But mostly what I have found, and, and you, we can come and talk about this later, but mostly what I've found is that while there are arguments against the existence of God or how He operates, most of the time, once you probe a little deeper with this, it's usually just an arrogance or a pride that they don't want to acknowledge that there is a God. And most of it, then, is about a spiritual deficit. It's that they are most high. They are, they are central to their lives, and they, don't want, they know, they're sharp enough to know man, if I take this step towards the existence of God or how He operates, there are going to be implications. And I know that if I step towards it, I'm, there's going to be some domino effect. I'm going to have to deal with Him. Anybody with me? I don't want to talk about Jesus. The reason is, and that's why you can sit around in the dorm and talk about God, but don't talk about Jesus. You can talk about God, God, and everybody has a God, and a Buddha. And a Buddha. But when you start talking about Jesus, boy, you've instantly funneled down to this God. What are you going to do with him? So, 
at the cognitive level, I, I don't find too many people who really argue. Ser- seriously, uh, what happens is it's more at the emotional level. Most people resist God. Now, what we're talking about is Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged God, but emotionally he did not want to respond to God. Now, what happens at the intellectual level, you either accept or reject. So pretty much accept, reject. So either I go with this God thing or I don't. That has its own life, okay? You've pretty much exited. Elvis has left the building. Accept. Now, what does that mean? Well, the next step is emotional, internalizing what I have accepted intellectually. Now, when I moved, first moved to Sandy Springs, I, I moved into my house. I see this older guy across the street, older guy meaning like 65, 70, older than me. <laughs> and um, he was uh, working in his yard, and I went, oh, cool, old guy neighbor. So uh, I'd like to tell you that it was about being a witness for Jesus, not, but it wasn't. I was thinking, cool, old guy with tools I can borrow. So, um, and who can help me fix stuff? I've always had an old guy neighbor who can help me fix stuff. Those are, they're great to have, you know. And uh, so I go over to introduce myself. 90 seconds was pretty much when this happened. Basically, I walked over. He looked up. He's still on the ground wor- working on whatever it was he was working on. He looks up. Uh, I said, hey, I'm a new neighbor guy, you know. And, oh, great, nice to meet you. Name, name. And he said, well, you know, uh, Why'd you move here? And I said, oh, well, I'm starting a church in Buckhead. <laughs> you know, and he said, well, I don't believe in all that God crap. Why would God take my sister's life when she was 28? Okay, does this mean you won't be bringing the baked bread over to welcome us to the neighborhood? And does this affect the weed eater borrowing at all? But you know what? That's the bulk of people who have a problem with God. It's mama or cousin or earthquake or robbery or rape or something, but the emotional reaction that God wasn't there for me or the God that I perceive, you know, there's a book or something called uh, uh, Let Me Tell You About the, the God You Don't Know. I mean, your problem is you've based your belief on a God that I don't know who you're talking about. But it's the TV, movie, cultural God, or the crazy, radical, fundamentalist God. Let me tell you about the God you don't know. Most people have an emotional resistance to God. But the line here is yielding or resisting. We emotionally resist because there are things that psychologically hinder us, some hurt, some anger in the past. And you just think about any relationship. Y'all, that's what we're talking about with God. It's a relationship, right? You think about any relationship in your past. It's not the fact. You start naming the facts. Well, let me tell you what else he did. And you're going, that's it? That's why you quit? That's why you broke up? That's it? Because once the facts are out there, they just don't have a lot of weight. It's the emotion that you attach to the facts. So, well, this is where God failed me. You're like, that's it? I mean, I have a theological answer for my neighbor. 
people see Adam and Eve's sin, we inherited, and we were born into a world of evil. God doesn't create tsunamis, but we, we have the, you know, death and tsunamis and earthquakes are a result of Adam and Eve's sin, even though it's not our personal sin, we're born into that world because we're human, but Christ redeems us, and ultimately, when, at the second coming, we'll be redeemed back into heaven, into a garden of Eden and paradise, where there won't be any death or sickness, but your, you know, your sister will suffer as a result of that, not because of her personal sin. Well, that's the theological answer, but you really think I was going to do that in the front yard? And you think he was open to that? No, he's hurt and he's angry. And that's what hurt and angry people do. They get on Facebook and say awful things about their ex. That's what, that's what emotional hurt does. <laughs> Sorry, I guess you're here today. Didn't realize. <laughs> okay, so what, what you've got then is a cognitive either resistance or acceptance, an emotional either a yielding or a resisting, and then if you do yield to this truth that you've learned and emotionally you're internalizing it, then, then you are moving into behavioral, which is the integration level. That is that what I say I believe, what's in my head, is now in my heart, I truly feel it, and now it's coming out in my actions. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, oh yes, I believe in Yahweh, but emotionally he didn't, and so behaviorally it was not happening in his actions. He just was trying to get God off his back. Anybody with me? The whole process, the full circle, has to be a head knowledge, a heart knowledge, and a life action. Okay, so let's, let's, uh, let's look then. I, I, wanna, I want all this to kind of make sense. The implications then of El Elyon, the reality of the God Most High. We've seen Nebuchadnezzar. He's pretty much an example of some of us, maybe not you, don't want to get in your face on this, but for some of us, we like to think we're the center of the universe. We're Most High. What ticks you off when you're driving? What ticks you off at work? What ticks you off at your house? When everybody doesn't do it the way you think it needs to be done because you know how it ought to be done. Now those are high, those are C and D people on the disc. Have you ever have you ever gone out like outside here and there's about ten or twelve of you and you're trying to figure out where to eat? The C and D people got it under control, man. They got especially the D's. They're got it, you know, they're telling you, okay, this is where we're gonna eat, this is where we gotta do. And and you have got the uh, you've got the high people like me. Well, you you've got the uh, you've got the S people uh, saying, I don't, you know, I don't care, wherever y'all wanna whatever's fine, wherever y'all want to eat. Got the C and D people controlling it. Got the high I people going like, trying to keep everybody happy. You know, it's okay, pizza, does that sound good? That's good, isn't it, pizza? Because we did Italian last week. Let's do pizza. Okay, so, uh, I don't know what that, I don't know how I got on that. All right, so implications for grasping the reality of L. L. Young. These are in no particular order, although sort of. Uh, number one, and if you're taking notes, that's my way of saying you should write this down. <laughs> okay, a lot of movement there. All right. First, there is someone in control of this crazy world, and that gives me peace. Now, let me just stop and show you the process. If I acknowledge these, and if I truly begin to understand, meaning more than the dorm debate of is there a God, but now I'm coming to worship 
and the songs mean something, and the prayers mean something, and the communion means something. It's emotionally affecting me. Not emotion absence of knowledge, but blended with knowledge. El Elyon is God most high. Here he is, he's given himself for me. How will I live tomorrow? How will I speak to people around me? So there are genuine implications. When people are looking for peace in their lives, we try to read it or we try to go to counseling, and I'm all for counseling. God bless America, I'm for counseling. Kept them all in business. But listen, you can't read yourself into peace or counsel yourself into peace or even find a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, mate into peace. This comes from somewhere transcendent outside of ourselves. We cannot manufacture from within ourselves, which of course would be the New Age and Buddhism. And uh, sorry if you're Buddhist. Uh, it's not from inside. It's from external. It's from El Elyon, who is most high, supreme, sovereign, not the same as us, over us, higher than us, apart from us. And from him, I get a sense of peace. Truly, there is something that happens to me physiologically based on the fact that God is El Elyon. My muscles actually relax. Neurons actually function at a different speed. Endorphins actually are released based on the fact that there is a creator God who is transcendent above and beyond existential from this physical world. Knowing that, internalizing that, and living that gives me peace. Folks, we're not playing around with these names of God. These have serious, real-life, deep-down-in-your-dark-closet-place implications. Okay, another one is that the universe has order. This is really important. And if I believe in Elohim, if I believe in Yahweh... If I believe in Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, I understand El Elyon created this, and there is something very contenting about the knowledge that God is in control and that He ordered things. Not every event, because I do not believe that. I believe He's given me the, the freedom to choose and suffer either the, the uh, results or enjoy the blessings and consequences of my actions. But the universe has order, El Elyon. When I say that name in my prayer, it reminds me I'm not in charge. He's in charge. I don't have to run the whole place. Let somebody else decide where we're going to eat. I don't have to run the whole universe. Y'all, that really helps you with the chiropractic bill, the Pepsid, Pepsid, whatever you take for the... It helps with the headaches and the stress. We're not in charge. And it's really tough on Americans, really tough on modern people, because we've been told we are. Third, tough times in my life, tough times in my life. Oh, it's upside down, I was thinking. Wow, is it 1130? Okay, all right, we're good. Tough times in my life do not lead to despair. Just because I can't see a way out does not mean there's not a way out. And when I pray El Elyon, it reminds me, I don't have to figure this all out. There can be a way, just because I don't see it, doesn't negate it. It's reality. That was a long sentence. Did you get that? Just because, I sort of did a semicolon. Just because I don't see it doesn't negate the reality. Just because I can't see a way out. But that's what happens. 
we don't understand the sovereignty of God. We think that means, well, he's controlling everything, and why did he make my sister die, and why about my cousin, and what about leukemia, and what about those tsunami, and what about those 300,000 people? But him being in charge, ultimately in charge, does not mean that we hold him responsible for every detail. You say, well, the death of somebody is not a detail. No, it's not. But in the larger picture, he is ultimately in control, and within his sovereignty, he has granted us free will, which is a blessing from him. We're not a cosmic chess game where he just decides, oh, I think I'll give them Parkinson's disease. Oh, let's see dementia for Garrett. Okay, let's see. Uh, Number four, I can pray and talk to the Most High. And number five, I can place my trust in one who is sovereign, not wimpy, not one of the many lesser gods, not someone who just makes me feel better about myself. This is L.L. El Young. Sovereign, strong, masculine, whether you like that or not, that's what he is. He's at large and in charge. Doesn't need your opinion or your ideas, although he appreciates them, you know, put them in the box. This is not a God that's here or here. This is a God who encompasses the universe. And that's the God. That's who we place our trust in. That's where our faith is. That's where when mama does die and there is the car wreck and there is leukemia, and I've had plenty of my share of working with the kids with leukemia, and I've asked God why, but at the end of the day, my faith and trust is in someone who is higher, stronger, more knowledgeable than me on this, and I place my trust in him. Not a lesser God, not an impotent God, not a God who, well, I wish I could fix things, but I can't. Not a limited, finite God, but an infinite, all-knowing, ever-seeing, all-present, all-powerful creator, Jehovah. Yahweh of the universe. So let me read you one psalm, and then we'll stop. This fellow writes, Have mercy on me, O God. Have mer- you know what? If you want to just close your eyes on this, I think this is very cool to just hear this and not look around. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. It's for somebody today, I bet. I cry out to El Elyon, God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me God sends His love and His faithfulness. Abba, Father, God. I get in your way. We get in your way. I want to direct it, control it, steer it, guarantee results. Lay out the business plan, gear up the marketing, fire everybody up, drive towards the goal. And Father, that's fine. You've placed much of that in me and in my friends here, enthusiasm and energy and goal direction. But Father, at the end of the day, your purposes will prevail. Your will be done. 
It gives us peace and a sense of security beyond, really, beyond measure that you are God and we aren't. Father, that's not a put down from you to us. That's a promise, a blessing. And we rest in it today. We love you. And we praise you. In the name of Yeshua. Amen.